0: Chapter 2 Shira 15.45 hours the 17th of October 2047 RCH station number P3 stroke 14 Shira looked around the table at her four hosts their smiling bearded faces flushed with bonhomie and fermented soy at Suzanne's polite and unfermented smile at Sven's fixed stare and at McAllister head cock Towards the speaker, a large man, big as Alistair. Rufus the Red was a radio rat like Macalester and a fellow Scot. It seemed they went back quite away. A surge of something fierce, impatience, frustration started up inside. She sent out nicked the edge of McAllister's attention. His eyes slid her way. Half an hour, okay? No, not one more minute. McAllister's eyes narrowed. Even if your life depends on it? She scowled and stuck her legs straight out under the table. Two hours spent there already. Ah, she straightened up, feeling brattish. She should be grateful to him for finding this hiding place. A subpolar clearing house, where goods shunted down by shuttle drone from STI were warehoused for the Pan-American continent. She pushed out a sigh. What else to do but worry and wait for Grandfather's voice? She might as well put on a good face and play her part at this well-meant makeshift banquet. Rufus reached the end of a rambling tale, of the days when he and Macallister had been young dons at Edinburgh, and Macallister laughed. As I remember it, Rufus, you're the one they hold of, and I bailed you out. And it was sixteen windows we broke, not sixty. Jess counted. Jess? Sherry looked from one to the other, seeing McAllister's fire die behind his smile. Excuse me, she leapt up and fled down the passage to the cell she was to share with Suzanne. She sank onto her cot alone at last. The excitement over unexpected guests was quite pathetic. Those men were all right, though, especially Rufus, number one. Number two was Thomas, engineer, engineer. A small man, with a quick white smile in a small brown face. Jocko the Brain kept inventory, while Kim seemed to be in charge of general maintenance. She'd scanned them lightly, sensed only great goodwill, especially in Rufus. Would they still feel it, if and when, they learned the reason for their dropping in like this. She ran her fingers through her hair, snagging on the tangles. God, she was tired. This place was just a couple of hours from Bentnose, as the crow flew, but McAllister, zigzagging like a rabbit to get there, had taken forever. Ever. She leaned forward, elbows on her knees. She'd thought her grandfather invincible. He could control his body functions, autonomic or voluntary, to a high degree. But pumped full of Hengst's poisons, she rocked back and forth. Oh, grandfather, be okay. Tell me what to do. The mess-room door opened, letting out a burst of laughter, then voices sounded along the passage. Shira kicked off her shoes and dove under the covers as Suzanne opened the door. Shira, we're going off to look around. Coming? Shira held her breath until the door had closed again. The noises faded, and all was quiet save for the hum of machinery and the hiss of air. She rolled onto her back, letting out a short, curt laugh. The world president's wife, doing the grand tour of an obscure government storehouse without a single public visican in attendance. She lay for a while, trying to still her mind to stay ready for her grandfather's call. But finding it hard, she took up a mantra and tried again. The humming, throbbing, whining faded, and with the sound, all sense of time. She slid down to Alpha, then... On to Theta, where she lingered, hoping for his call. When it came, she jumped. Shearer, hush and listen. The voice wavered, grew uncertain. Do you hear me? Yes. Oh, God, something was wrong. Silence. Then, Shearer, I'm not in Estrelita now. Another pause. Different. He knew where he was. Didn't want to tell her. Hengst took you space-side? Yes. They're forcing me awake. "'I've been holding out, but I'm getting tired. "'Where are you, Shirley? No, don't tell me. "'You're safe?' "'I think so.' "'McAllister pulled the star charts. "'Good. "'Tell him.' "'The voice went in and out. "'Destroy them.' And whatever you do, keep clear of things. Silence again. Was a hollowness. She sat up. Should she go to MacAllister? How? While he was with the others. Shira lay down again and closed her eyes. She flew over the bourg. It was dark and cold over the wind-scoured mounds that shielded the enclave. Suddenly, a loud bang and flame shot into the night. Aunt Marita, Catais Philippa, she banked to dive, but a hand seized her from behind and held her back. She turned. Not the poor, not earth at all, thank God. Talk held her, Prince Talk of Cognac, his agonised face almost past recognition. She looked down again, recognising now what she saw. Not the Burg, but the murder of King Sharok in his tower revisited. The fire, his death cry, and the screams as Queen Melfor's high walkway collapsed in flames. She struggled, sweating up towards consciousness, only to fall back into nightmare. Now she was Ramani, watching the golden roofs of Rum crash and roll away down to Lake Azan's shore. The great gates hung on broken hinges, and there, talks gruff old mentor, De Huru No, arms outspread towards Hashira Ramani, his mouth working silently. Go back, go back men in shiny blue-black helmets came and cleft his skull with axes then they trampled him swarming past into the city up and down the steep stone stairs teeming past the serried walls like roaches fire sprang up all over smoke burst out in choking clouds The clash of steel whoops and shouts. The gutters ran with blood. Damn, damn, damn you all. There is no justice under heaven. Or Oshira. She woke with a sob in her throat. A thin sliver of light cut the base of the door. The other cot lay empty, the cover still turned back. She squeezed up her eyes, recalling the horror of her dreams. Dreams? They'd been more vivid than any she'd had before, and they'd left a strong press of fear. The passage was deserted. So was the mess-room, except for Sven, slumped in an armchair, watching the public compu-screen. On the table were remnants of supper. Shearer helped herself to cold casserole, filling her bowl to full in her need. She carried it to a neighbouring seat, eyeing Sven covertly, his puffy face and sallow skin under the artificial tan. What's new? Talked to herself. She dug into the bowl hungrily, eyes on the screen. Someone was making trouble in the Anzark zone. A dome burned out, 2,000 shelterless, Death sentence on the innocent. Riot in a Siberian enclave. Food battles in central India. A convoy had gone astray. The crew vanished en masse. Shearer frowned. The tally of catastrophes went on. Worse than usual, but no mention of Ellison's disappearance. She sneaked another look at Sven. What was he thinking? Couldn't tell from his face. Dare she read him? She was about to push just a bit when the announcer's voice cut through. Word from our new World Council Chairman, Controller Peter Ellison. Shearer snapped back to the screen. Ellison? live? Of course not. Just a simple ruse. A health report from a president too busy to appear in person, read by a clean-cut New Washington aide. She listened to a cheerful clip, strangely at odds with the general news, Listing increased living space, a falling leukemia death count, a new drug to combat breakouts. The reading finished. The aide's face faded to black, replaced by Ellison's profile, wind-blown hair, blue eyes narrowed slightly, like a mariner's scanning the horizon for some brave new world. Now, fluttering behind him, the world flag from Bent Nose Peak, and, to finish, the strains of the world unity hymn, piping to a synthesized crescendo. Still nobody knows, sure a moment, or cares, Sven uncurled. "'Shera leaned over and cut the cast. "'Your mother's fixing to sprue, McAllister. "'Sven!' "'Sven shot her a quick, sly look. "'That's life.' "'Shera set her bow down. "'McAllister's a gentleman, "'and you shouldn't talk that way about your parents.' My mother wants the rat, trust me. My dad, Sven scrambled up and went to the door, is in love with a dead man. The door thwacked shut. Shearer stared after him. That would be Sven's great-grandfather. Well, could be right there. But McAllister? And Suzanne? There you are. McAllister appeared in the doorway. Shearer eyed him narrowly. Aunt Marita always said there was never a stink without the rotten meat. Where are the others? Aloft. Stargazing. Want to join us? Stargazing in a warehouse. There's this little sky dome. Coming. McAllister frowned as she shook her head. What is it, your granddad? She nodded. Hengst shipped him up. Sorry. He wants you to keep clear of Hengst. And destroy the strips. I can't go that far, Shearer. Not without Ellison's okay. You must do as Grandfather says, she argued. He's a wild card, remember? Trust him. Hmm. I'll think about it. You trust Rufus? With my life. As I have many times. You told him yet? Not yet. I'm sounding out the others. What do you think? Come on, I know you've given them a once over, he added as she hesitated. They seem okay. Are they pro Ellison? McAllister grinned. You'd think he was the new messiah. Suzanne looked so proud, I thought she'd burst. And Sven? Makes me nervous. Shearer nodded. He hates his father. He also says that you... I what? Shearer looked down. Come on. He took her arm. Let's go upstairs. She pulled back. I had nightmares, McAllister. Earth and finish mixed in together. I'm scared. Look at it this way. Your granddad's under heavy stress, and they're messing with his mind, so things are getting skewed. Skewed? He shrugged. Me? I'm just a radio rat. But seems to me... That if you rattle a man's marbles, even the hazycasters, new stuff, old stuff, tumbles in together like rocks in a mill. McAllister ushered her out the mess room door and up the passage. You never did tell me how's Prince Tork doing. He's dead. Aha how they walked through airlocks to a narrow elevator Shearer told of Ferec's warning of Torque's coronation and his defiance leading to his death while McAllister finger poised on the up key took it in Christ and Ramani Shira told how Ramani left of her letter. Gerniak, I am with child. How Tork burned the letter, gelding gar in the process of Tork's last ditch bid to save Tana. Did he? I don't know. Interesting. McAllister punched the key, and the door slid aside. That made two heirs, Gars and Torx. McAllister pressed for go. Say both kids survived. Which one made the throne, I wonder? If Gars did, then Tanner survived. "'And she got to be queen after all. "'Wow! What a price to pay!' "'The ride was short and quick, "'up a central shaft which ended at the foot of a spiral-iron stair. "'It was dark at the top. Shearer stepped over dim figures huddled under the little glass bubble.' Got down between Kim and Jocko and settled, cross-legged. She could barely see Suzanne, squashed between Rufus and Thomas, the world chairman's wife, hunkered down among the rats and ticks. Adjusting, Shearer began to see more. Rufus's bright beard. Looked dark up here, almost black. He smiled, and she saw the gleam of his teeth. Feeling rested? Thanks. Sorry you missed the tour, Shearer. Tell you what, I'll treat you to your very own. Name the time. That brought a chorus of jeers and catcalls. You see, what happens to a guy's reputation when a good-looking girl comes along? Suzanne shifted. It was fascinating, wasn't it, Sven? No answer. Suzanne went on doggedly, describing her tour through communications, plant and maintenance, computer banks and sickbay, stock zones and loading docks. While they were in the control centre, a supply drone had arrived from STI. Sven had docked it all by himself and parked it in its proper slot. Hooray! Sven got up, mumbling about bed. I'll see you down, lad. Rufus started to his feet, but Sven insisted on going alone. They listened to the whine of the elevator going down. Rufus took Shearer's arm and pointed up. Polaris, see? The pole star was bright as a beacon overhead. Like great Forthia, she found herself thinking. Only Forthia was fixed. Rufus went on naming the constellations. She sought and found, embedded like sequins in the foamy scarf of the Milky Way, the Perseus cluster and she fixed her eyes on the blackness beyond. The Pleiades. Somewhere in that alien swarm, burned Demiel, tiny, unremarkable sun, subtended by the planet Grinness. Shearer gazed up. Across eons, the images had come, from that tiny point to this. And yet Talk's known world seemed so immediate. Rufus was saying something about How strange it must be for her to see the real stars from the roof of the world under real sky. Shearer looked down. Suzanne's eyes were almost closed. Rufus looked at his wrist. Good God, we're into the first watch. One fifteen men jumped to... A signal bled, cutting him off. The hell? The man struggled to his feet. The others got up fast. This was no drill. Suzanne's eyes opened wide. What is it? She said, but the men were already pounding down the companionway. Shira followed, thinking, Hengst. The elevator doors were shut, the men on the way down. She tried to send out, but was too agitated. By the time she had focused herself, the doors were reopening below. She pushed out and recoiled. An airlock had been breached. The doors hissed shut. The car came back up. Beside her, Suzanne muttered, Why wouldn't they say?" The elevator arrived. McAllister waited at the bottom. Suzanne. He took the woman's arm. Sven's broken out. Sven? Out? He was suited up. McAllister hustled them to the control centre, where infra-scanners swept the polar dark. Rufus and Thomas have taken out two cats. Look. See, they're out already. That's Rufus. He touched two screens marked Viz and Track. We see what he sees. The viewpoint on the Viz screen bucked and jerked over a narrow moraine of arclit ice that ever stretched before it. The Track screen was black and featureless save for the tracking arm sweeping around and around an empty grid let's have sound mcallister flipped a toggle there came a hiss and the room filled with static and cussing rufus shouted got him on the track screen at two o'clock a blip appeared moved to center target as the cat's scanner homed in, in the vis screen loomed a small figure bent into the driving wind, a radiant shape from which filaments of body heat curled out like tongues of steam. Snatches of voice stuttered in the silence. Do you copy Thomas? Thomas copied. Bloody idiot! What in hell does he think he's? The figure vanished off screen. Left, Ruth, left, back up, so, there. The viewpoint bounced, veered, and for one instant almost capsized as Rufus steered his cat towards the fleeing boy. A new sound rushed in the fury of polar wind keening over the ice. The scanner righted, steadied, held, Centred on Sven's retreating back. The craft stopped. The men were getting out to follow Sven on foot. Shira put an arm about Suzanne's rigid shoulders. Suzanne stayed put as two glowing figures appeared in the scanner, then diminished into the distance where, converging on Sven. They pulled him back, struggling towards the screen. They overran it, and then disappeared. The air crackled once more. The wind cut, and Rufus's voice came clean and clear. He's okay. Sick bacon. Hit the lock, Jocko. Suzanne turned to McAllister. Take me there, please. Sheera watched them out. Poor Sven, but lucky, he hadn't wanted to die, or he'd not have suited up. Poor Suzanne. Sheera followed after. They brought Sven in unconscious, tranked. Sheera hung around a bit saw she was not needed, and went back to her cubicle. He seemed none the worse for wear, physically anyhow. But his mental state? Nothing she could do. Shira kicked off her shoes. If only Grandfather were here, he'd make things right. She looked across to Suzanne's empty bed, neatly turned. Still unused, the woman must be dead on her feet. But she insisted on staying with Sven in sickbay, even though he wouldn't wake until morning. Morning? It was past three now. Shira thought of the wide darkness flowing out beyond the small scope of the scammers. Boundless, endless wind. No light to vanish like a spark into that emptiness. She shivered. Grandfather. Her mind and his were but sparks in the vastness of time and space. What if, if they were blown apart, away into that immense uncertainty, never to touch again? Only a heartbeat ago, she'd been grumbling about the board and wishing for change. Now she wished all this had never been, that grandfather had never gotten it into his head to leave the place, that they were still in that tight and close haven. But he had left for reasons of his own taking her with him now whatever happened life could never be the same again